The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, we'll talk about the latest seasons of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Outlander, and how trauma is dealt with on television. That's all coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. So Matt is away this week, and instead we have a few special guests with us. We have Vulture editors Alex Jung and Tara Abel and Vulture contributor Malika Rao. Hi. Hello. Hi Hello. Thanks for being here. Yeah. How's everyone doing today? Very good. How are you? Excellent. Doing well. The sun is shining. The mm-hmm. sun is shining Finally. and we're here to talk about kind of a dark topic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It is. It's true. It's the, the right contrast. background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about trauma because and how television deals with trauma because Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Outlander both deal with it in interesting ways in both of their seasons, particularly the second one for, for Kimmy Schmidt. And when we say trauma, we're talking about anything that can be a, a traumatic event from a terminal illness to rape to death to a, a physical injury, anything that might dramatically alter the course of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes trauma is criticized on television because it can be used as a plot twist. So we want to talk a little bit about shows that deal with it really well and also ones that maybe don't. For me, I think I've sort of been more interested in what comedy does with trauma Mm -hmm. as opposed to drama. Mm -hmm. There's something, I don't know, more cathartic about it, something Mm -hmm. more subversive. Yeah. Um, I definitely respond to the way comedy's been doing it, especially with Crazy Girlfriend Kimmy, because it feels closer to life to me because Mm -hmm. that's how life is. Like There are moments of levity and there are moments of darkness and that blend feels more closer to the way we really live. You and, know? and darkness can be so hilarious sure. as well. Like, so, you know, the the laughing at a funeral idea. Mm-hmm. We were, I was telling Gaz that the Kimmy, um, the sort of the animated world that they flashed into her happy space mm-hmm. that was so, that turned so dark, reminded me of um, Natural Born Killers. It's implied that the main girl, Juliette Lewis character is very, like she's messed up something terrible has happened but we don't know exactly what and when they flash back to her life growing up it's done in a, like an all in the family like sitcom kind of way and it's really creepy well i'm gonna go now i'll be back at midnight okay what are you wearing a broomstick and a trash bag why don't you put some meat on you huh a few pounds lighter you'll be missing the opening <laughs> what the hell do you think you're going huh I'm going to the John Lee Hooker concert with Donna. I told you that yesterday. First off, you don't tell me anything. You ask my permission. Second, you're not going out in that house dress. You'll end up feathering your ass, you stupid bitch. And third, you're not going out at all. You didn't mow the yard. That piece of gin lawnmower is fine! Are you talking in front of your mother? You stupid bitch. You watch your language. Or I'll kick the shit out of you. Like I do her. To me, that like hits the darkness so much better than a than a melodrama or a straight kind of yeah look at it. I think another show that's a good example of this is Enlightened, which mm. Malika introduced me to. Um, and I mean, these are also the HBO Lord Earned. Yes, yes. I mean, there's a distinction to be made, I guess, between shows where 
uh, it's just kind of baked into the premise where it's not a traumatic event exactly. that changes their lives, but it's you begin the show with this bit nervous breakdown this woman is having, and then the show is about that. But there's no better show to me that has that's dealt with these kinds of issues in a kind of darkly comedic way. And I think partially because the creator, Mike White, mm-hmm. the reason he, he the reason he created this show was because he had a nervous breakdown himself. Right. And yeah. this was kind of um, him telling his story. The best show for me that does this is actually RuPaul's Drag Race because mm. even though it's a reality show, like all of the drag queens sort of come, f- like there's always this like hurt this mm-hmm. like origin hurt that they all experienced, whether it was child abuse or mm-hmm. drug abuse or death or being ostracized from their families or communities. And sort of that is what they use to turn and transform themselves into drag queens. Um, and that's part of their art. And it's funny, right? It's always funny, but there's this like, it trembles, like it's it, it could almost crumble at any moment into this like, Tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, reality, you could, there's an argument to be made that reality TV is like the ultimate merger yeah. of dark and light, you know. Well, we it, see a similar thing on Project Runway sometimes, too, with some of the contestants where we get start getting their backstories and we visit right. them at home. It's, you know, right. mm-hmm. their ability to design and their art comes from a place of hurt. Um, one of my favorite episodes is when we find out that Mondo is HIV positive. Oh, and how my that God. A lot of his, that affected a lot of his designs. And yeah. he made these beautiful mm-hmm. pants with that big plus Plus sign print and Mm -hmm. that episode has always stuck with me because that was a great example of like my art comes from my trauma and I'm able to grow past it and make something beautiful with it. So the textile that I'm designing for this challenge is based on a plus sign that represents uh, you know my HIV positive status Um, and I've held this secret for 10 years of my life. Uh, you know, this has, this has been so hard to keep a secret from my parents because I feel guilt and I feel shame. I feel like if they knew, I don't know if they would know how to deal with it. And um, I've just realized that I can't, I can't live that way anymore. I can't hide anything because I am such a better person than just being a coward. I mean, we were earlier talking about our different moments of realization about Kimmy when you realize, oh my God, this is a show about a deeply traumatized girl, woman. Um, For me, it happened really late. It really happened in the second season. Um, But I think there's something about like, if you were to pitch me, just, hey, you should watch this show. It's about a girl who was you know, probably raped in a bunker. Like I wouldn't, it's, it's like folding the vegetables in with, you know, in a cake or something like I, it, I'm, you're much more likely to sort of go to it in the first place. And then when it comes to respond to it in a way that I think like really you can, you can deal with it rather than coming in stealing yourself, you know. That reminds me too of uh, when Transparent first came out. It's like, it's a show about (laughs) a transgender woman. And I'm like, but no, it's funny. You know, you have to kind yeah. of tell people, like, no, no, it sounds traumatic, but actually it's, <laughs> it's actually hilarious great. and amazing. Yeah. So it's funny when you think of, like, the premises of these shows and how you get people to get on board. It's totally. like, no, no, just watch it. I swear it's well, funny. And you I feel like them a little. Unreal yeah. did kind of the opposite, mm-hmm. um, where you have a show that is, like, this is the behind the scenes of a reality TV show, but it's such a dark show mm-hmm. that, like, really deals with the main character's nervous breakdown and the fallout of that for her, but also all these contestants... You know, you have depression, you have suicidal contestants, Mm -hmm. you have 
these kind of really sad backgrounds for a lot of them. And the show, I think, has done a good job of not really playing that up because it's, you know, it's a lifetime show. Nobody really thought going into it, it would be dealing with these issues in such a heavy way. But it, again, kind of toes this line of really funny and just devastatingly sad. Let's also talk about some shows that maybe don't do it as well, (laughs) (laughs) which I think, you know, I think when I was thinking about this topic, I actually had an easier time thinking of shows that did do it well because those are the ones that really stay with you. Mm -hmm. But on Scandal, I wasn't a huge fan of how they dealt with Olivia's kidnapping. And I think that's something where I didn't actually mind the kidnapping plot itself and how they did that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of when they bring it back, it seems like all of a sudden you have a flashback where she's remembering it. There's montages. And then it's only used when it's convenient for Mm -hmm. her character Mm -hmm. in terms of making her seem like, oh, well, you should care about her right now. It almost Mm -hmm. feels like backlash in a way. Like the writers were getting backlash from readers. Like, what? Are we going to talk about the kidnapping ever again? Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like that amount of space passed where like there could be backlash from viewers the writers could meet and decide, okay, what are we going to do? And it's like, okay, at the back half of season five, we're going to do this storyline, and Olivia's going to kill somebody. Right. You know, it feels very shoehorned to me. Yeah. And I get it, but I maybe would have liked it even more if it was, like, six episodes sooner. Totally. Or, like, that that you felt like she had been dealing with the after effects of that traumatic event. And that makes me think of Kimmy. It's like, Kimmy starts with the stress burps maybe three or four episodes into season two. And I'm mm-hmm. like, those burps are going to mean something. Totally. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. going to come back. And then she starts doing these little stress burps in every episode mm-hmm. until she starts going to therapy. And I and it was like that perfect little Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb mm-hmm. where right. we knew it was mm-hmm. going to lead somewhere. And I wish Scandal maybe had done something like that. Yeah. I, I think the Americans also does a really good job of placing these breadcrumbs in terms of like, the characters over time kind of having to deal with these murders they've done collectively Mm. and also individually ones that hit them really hard and we're really seeing that in this season where all of a sudden a character from the first season Gregory who we haven't really heard about but we know Elizabeth cared a lot about comes up in this fight between Mm -hmm. husband and wife where you're like wow like this kind of these things don't go away just because Mm -hmm. we don't see them these are things they're constantly thinking about and feeling and they come up in the most unexpected moments and just completely devastate you right yeah and matthew reese's own sort of like why he's drawn to talk therapy basically right it's like continual obsession with it like it feels like clearly a working out and therapy is actually an interesting Mm -hmm. way like is being used in an interesting way especially on Kimmy because I feel like that was when they the show really felt like we're gonna go in on this Mm -hmm. and we're gonna crazy ex-girlfriend too yes right Mm -hmm. totally yeah Um, but for me episode 9 when Tina Fey's character as the therapist comes in you're a psychiatrist yeah I'm good got one of these little noise machines and everything goes shh so you can't hear other peeps is crying. So, where do you go to therapy? Who, me? I don't need therapy. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> okay, well, I think I've gone above and beyond the Uber oath that I made up. Listen, I'm telling you this because I love you. If you don't deal with whatever you're repressing, one day your body is going to take over and do something rough. You'll find yourself wandering along a highway or eating at a Boston market. No, I am in control of my own body. Always. Like that was the best part of the. What do you think about about 
uh, her character's trauma. Like, what did you think about this sort of? Well, you know, therapists are fucked up. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, so we don't we don't know much about it yet. I think that's fertile ground for season three too. Like, how did Andrea turn oh, to alcoholism? Do you think that's a character that's going to keep? I think she's going to come back. Her. I think so. Yeah. 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 Because we don't know about her past. I thought maybe they were going to do a Rachel Dratch thing where she sort of plays a different character each episode in 30 Rock. Oh, okay. Um, That's sort of what I thought was going to happen. I thought she was there just for Kimmy, you know, to have this kind of... But I could also see her come back to, very yeah. easily. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, it leaves it open at least, yeah. right? Especially to revisit Kimmy's need to fix people and to help people. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's another interesting thing. We we had a um, uh, a writer for us, Flora Edwards, who used to be in a cult and escaped. Um, she wrote about the first season for us, but the second season as well. She focused on Kimmy's savior complex mm-hmm. and how people who are in cults have this savior complex because the cult leaders have a savior complex and mm-hmm. they make you feel like you can save the world and the people around you. Mm-hmm. And that's why Kimmy's constantly trying to help everyone because mm-hmm. she has this sense that like that is her duty in the world. Yo, that's of, deep. Yeah, that's amazing. I know. What and, about, oh, sorry. No, and I'm just going to say, we see that a lot in the flashbacks to the bunker, too, how she was always mm-hmm. um, the one yeah. to be the shoulder to cry on, you know, mm-hmm. when um, <laughs> the can boyfriend breaks up with Cindy and Cindy's really <laughs> upset. Kimmy's the one who acts out Titanic for her. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we see that in Kimmy's current timeline, but also in the flashbacks that this has kind of always been a part of her. Right, mm-hmm. and she literally takes the punches yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about, like, I, I was really blown away by the fact that they had her in bed about to have sex. Like, I don't know that I've ever mm. seen a character with implied sexual abuse shown then trying to have sex, I think. Yeah, that, I thought that, mm-hmm. again, it brings the rape right back. Mm-hmm. Totally. When you completely, you're like, oh, she's going to have sex with Dong. Mm-hmm. This is, you completely aren't even thinking about the fact exactly. that she's been raped. And then you're like. No, I, I think I had sort of reconciled myself to the idea that what happened to them in the bunker while it's sort of drawn from the headlines is very much like a sanitized version of reality. Mm. It's a comedic version and it's going to do away with all of the like truly messed up Mm -hmm. things, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was the first indication to me, like the scene with Dong, that whether or not we actually explicitly talk about it, we are meant to understand that something happened, you know? Well, there was also the scene with the guy who was the, uh, sorry, I don't know his name, the, the oh, general. The, the British vet, guy? The vet guy. Oh, vet. oh yeah, yeah. Um, right. Mr. I Harris. That. I love that Jane. actor. Right. He's, he's, he's always he's in so things cute. and he's so who is cute. He? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's um, Joan Jones Harris Nihalo. Oh, my God. That's Dr. Rape. God. He's a rape. Yeah. He's a mm-hmm. rape character. <laughs> yep. Also made a lovely turn in Gossip Girl in one of the Why do I seasons. like him? He looks yeah. like a Gossip Girl. Why do you girl? like him? Because he's chiseled out of stone. Yeah. <laughs> he's real true, good looking. True, true, yeah. true, I guess. But, yeah. but that well. scene, I thought, like, because it, the parallel between her having PTSD and him having totally. PTSD, like, that was a very smart one because it's one that viewers sort of understand mm-hmm. in the, like, pop cultural trope world. Um, but, like, placing them together and then having them both react um, to various triggers was I think hilarious. Um, yes, hilarious. And also, <laughs> and also like, so oh god, yeah. and genius to think that <laughs> yeah. we feel okay laughing at them responding to their triggers, but yeah. it feels yes. right and it feels natural to the show. Right. Uh, so it just speaks more to how powerful the writing is. Yeah. Uh, on that note, um, I have recently started watching Felicity. Oh yes. And um, <laughs> and there's both both of these storylines sort of have like a proto introduction with Felicity so there's one episode where Felicity and 
Ben. They go to his apartment and um, and a burglar comes in and holds them at a gunpoint or knife mm-hmm. point or something. I thought Spoiler that was alert. not well done because mm-hmm. then he, the, it, you know, they, they, they like get closer and they talk about it and she compares them to PTSD struck right. um, soldiers, which feels really glib now. Mm-hmm. Like I think I, you've, when you think about the time that Felicity came out, right? right. Mm-hmm. We didn't even really have a concept of, yep. it was totally She's theoretical. also looking for a reason to bond exactly, together. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but so I was kind of like put off by that. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then there's a rape storyline where that's so prescient. Like it's it, it's not quite rape, but it is rape. And I think it handled rape better than I I see most shows <laughs> handle rape on television. Um, I It... Because it makes you, it stays with the character. It, you you never forget about Julie's rape. And it really shows, like, you have this college girl who doesn't quite know who she is yet. And it forces her to face her own insecurities about who she is and why she allowed this to happen to herself. Mm-hmm. Because she thinks of herself as someone who's who men like for sex. And, you know, like, it's just... I thought it and was even him. I think he he kind of reckons with what he's done. He's not a perfect. He was villain a virgin. Either. He was yeah. a virgin, and he you know he didn't know what he was doing, yeah. and it doesn't excuse what he did, but it doesn't allow you to take to have any easy answer to to what happened, right. even though you, it's clearly rape. Well, just to give my girl um, Shonda Rhimes a little break, because we were you know oh yeah dissing on scandal before. <laughs> I think Melly's rape storyline really plays well in that season I think that's season three where we find out that Fitz's dad had raped her because mm-hmm. it doesn't go on to define her she does grow past it and it does stick with her and it motivates a lot of her actions after that and I think it really was baked into her character in a very interesting way where the kidnapping storyline for Olivia wasn't I so I I didn't like her rape storyline as much I think you're right in terms of it playing into her character, but I didn't like how they used it for her and Fitz to reconnect, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. what it felt like they used it for. Right. Whereas with her son dying, I felt like they really followed her grief yes. really well, where yeah. you kind of see her just fall, fall apart completely. Right. And they really stuck with that yes. for, a, for a good stretch of episodes. So um, I think that's, but may, so maybe more so the son dying than the rape storyline, mm-hmm. but I do think Melly's character... And also, that's her acting too. I oh, think she's is great. Amazing. Uh, but so, Scandal can get Bellamy it right. Young. You're right, but love her. Scandal can <laughs> get it right. And Orange Is the New Black, I think, is another example of rape um, handled a, well with oh, Pensatucky. Huh. Um, I not for you, Alex. I felt the the moment of it made a lot of sense. I, for some reason, I thought the after mm-hmm. effect of actually dealing with it right. felt. A little I, pat. I didn't mm. love the like let's get revenge on him thing, right. but I yeah. did like how she internalized it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I thought it was similar to the Julie thing, where she kind of you go into her flash, you you mm-hmm. have all this stuff, you get all this stuff about her past that makes you understand why she thinks she should just right. be like I'm the kind of person who this happens to, right. you know, right. and. It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that episode itself was really well yeah. done. Yeah. Like the flashback paired with what was happening in the present mm-hmm. was really beautifully done. And I think Taryn Manning did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. But I think for me, it was the episodes afterwards where I sort of just felt like it was, it was, they were just trying to like add some comedy. That was where the comedy I felt like right. didn't really where work. Right. Where it's like a little. Right. And it then, airs on the side. Because it didn't much. feel relatable. It didn't feel like a way we would deal with trauma. Right. So I get fucked and now I'm screwed? Yep. That's about the short of it. But 
that don't make it over. You hear me? Hey! You got a big, angry bull dyke on your side now. And I am a firm believer in good old-fashioned revenge. You ain't thinking about killing him, are you? Nah, that shit's too messy. Nope, I got a better idea. We're gonna go full-on girl with a dragon tattoo on this guy. What's us getting tattoos gonna teach him? <laughs> no. See? Girl with the dragon tattoo. It's Swedish. It means we're gonna rape him back. So, we need to talk about Grey's Anatomy. Yes. <laughs> because no show has had more trauma. You're so right. And I, can't I love we this show so deeply. I now understand how my mother watched, like, um... All my children for 30 years because as long as Grey's Anatomy is on the air I'm going to watch it mm-hmm. I need to know what happens to these people now I need to see these storylines to the end and I think Meredith's traumas get handled very well and I mean Ellen Pompeo is a gift to us all the <laughs> acting the storylines the writing we see her in and out of therapy with different therapists uh, you know we see her falling in love being a widow learning how to be a single mom like I think her story is rich and really well done but there are so many other characters on this show who have dealt with trauma. Like, I can't think of the last time we talked about Arizona having a prosthetic leg. Like, she zips around that hospital. She's never in any pain. Uh, you know, she's wearing high heels to people's weddings. You know, I feel like the idea that she lost her leg and then had to deal with living with a prosthetic has never been mentioned again. Hmm. And that has always really bugged me. Yeah. Because in the one or two episodes after, it was a large storyline. But that was two or three seasons ago now. And we haven't mentioned it again. These people have lived through shootings in the hospital, earthquakes, you know, ferry accidents. There's been so much that goes on there. And I understand it's a soap opera. Maybe we Jenny ask Duquette too much. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> so, you know, for a show that does so many other things so beautifully, I really think our smaller characters, our, you know, supporting actresses need a little more love. I do feel like uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh, yes. dealt with trauma beautifully. And the one that I sort of really remember and think about is her death in season five and then being pulled out of heaven and brought back to earth. And that sort of is the groundwork for season six. And she's mm-hmm. sort of constantly dealing with the pain of living mm-hmm. until it all sort of culminates in that musical episode, which was brilliant quite frankly well i think we're going to start seeing that with john now on game of thrones like after last night's episode we see you know he comes back and he's like shit these bastards tried to kill me like i thought i was doing the right thing and they murdered me for it and now i'm here and i've got to deal with it and i've got to execute these four guys who did it to me and i think that really is what pushes him to leave at the end to break his oath because he's kind of lost his faith and now we're going to see him dealing with this in the next couple episodes maybe it'll lead to a musical episode <laughs> we could only <laughs> hope. count on it wouldn't count it, it, on. I, i'm reminded i mean it, it seems like the the big message is like stick with it make it make it sort of make the trauma ride at least underneath the surface for as long as you can and you know shape or, or how as long as go. makes sense for the as long as makes right. sense i'm the friday night lights which i'm yes. like a total stand for is Same. i mean the pilot is like Unbelievable, the perfect right? pilot. Of like, course, if it's, you it's think that, of perfect it's, pilots, it's, it's one of the canonical pirate there. pilot. So you have like a, a deeply traumatic event happen to a single person, which they deal with beautifully. I think, Jason, I mean, Jason Street throughout, just all of the sort of ups and downs that he goes through. But then I was so moved by, um, I think it was the end of season three, like uh, Minka Kelly, no, Blonde. Connie Britton. 
uh, no. Oh, Tara? Tara. Tara. No, Tyra. Tyra. Tyra Tyra, um, gets in provisionally to UT. Right. And she reads her essay out loud. It's, it's like, narrated. And it's all about Jason Street's accident. And I I think that was when I was like, oh, my God. You knew that everyone was sort of dealing with it. Obviously, Mm -hmm. that set in motion, like, everything to come. But it was so beautifully – Recalled and mm-hmm. especially for Tyra to do it exactly. Was, who's like you who's wouldn't so, expect to be right? The one to... Who's got such a like bulletproof kind of exterior? Yeah. But then she was. She was constantly there. Right. And, and yeah. minus the the bad season, the second season that that was a show that had a very strong understanding of its world mm-hmm. and la- allowing its characters to live in them mm-hmm. and to exit them and come back. Totally. So that's what was to great about Jason Street, and, too, yes. right? Because he mm-hmm. lived his life, and you didn't drop him just because he was no longer playing football. You just – he kept living in the town. Yeah, he wasn't a plot device to right. kickstart the story of Friday Night Not Night. at right. all. Right. Not at he all. was an integral part of this community. Right. And a similar thing, I think, to what we were saying before about Meredith. Then we see him with the physical recovery, but then we see him trying to date, trying right. to start new relationships. Right. Like we didn't drop him right after he, like – comes out of rehab. We stayed with him as he was trying to form his new life. Totally. Mm -hmm. And then it was when he, like, moved to New York and, like, got a job. You know, that's sort of when you sort of felt like the storyline was done at that point. And can I just say, that just made me think, that's another thing that I love about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, how many stories are like, I've got my life together, so I'm moving to New York. But Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's like, New York ruined my life. I'm getting the fuck out (laughs) of here. Well, what's so funny is... (laughs) Like, I just love that she flips that trope. Exactly. And it's like, we're telescoping in on the part of a life that's normally cut out of the series. Like, this is like when the character disappears. Right, 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 right. Like, that's what we're we're looking at. (laughs) In terms of terminal illness, um, I thought that Sex and the City actually handled absolutely um, yeah Samantha Samantha's storyline really well on a show where she is such a caricature most of the time. Mm-hmm. She finally got a real storyline, and they kind of allowed her to deal with it in the most Samantha way possible. You <laughs> yes. know, the episode with yeah. the wigs, the yes. wigs yeah. is genius. I just want to look like myself, ma'am. These are wigs. They're not ever going to look exactly like you. Well, that is not acceptable. We could style the bang. Don't touch my head. I've worked with many women with cancer. I don't have cancer. I have a premiere, and I don't want some second-rate wig named after a hooker. My hair is my thing. This is bullshit. Carrie, we're going. When you think that, like, this woman just wants to find a nice wig store, <laughs> yeah, totally. you know, and and it's like, that's so real. But you like, know what's this woman really... just wants to be herself and look mm-hmm. pretty and, like, she can't do it. What's but... really eerie about that episode, I watched it recently, and have you guys seen The Witches or read The Witches? Oh, yeah. Literally the scene where Samantha's giving the speech and then everyone stands up and takes off their wigs, it's like... No. Exactly. Oh, that scene is so the terrifying. Scene of the witches. <laughs> when the witches when are having their conference. Their or whatever. They take off their wigs. Their wigs, Yeah. yeah. And are scratching. God. <laughs> and a really good example, I think, too, with Sex and the City is how different people, how hard it is sometimes to be a friend to someone mm-hmm. who's in need because you mm-hmm. never know the right thing and you just want to yeah. be there for them. But sometimes right. you don't know what the right thing to say right. is. And you that try so and you try. It's so real because then oh. also, again, it's played for laughs. And sometimes it's so funny how wrong we get it. How you just can't say the right thing sometimes. Right. Yeah. And then also how it then affects Carrie's relationship with Petrovsky because she says to him, 
my friend might have cancer. And he goes, yes, my friend had cancer too. He died. And Carrie's right. like, uh, dude, <laughs> need a little more than that. Like, that's your Russian coming in. Like, we don't talk like that in America. And it's funny how, you know, trauma does yeah. spiral out. It affects all the people around you too. Right. Well, they even treat, like, Miranda's childbirth as trauma in a way, like, where she can't really talk to Samantha anymore. And there's a whole, like, ripple effect yeah. there for her. And same even before that, when Miranda's considering getting abortion, mm-hmm. how that really strains her relationship with Charlotte, who couldn't conceive at the time and having those problems Absolutely. with her marriage. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting, too, because sometimes on TV when someone's having a baby. It's amazing. Everyone's so excited. But in reality, one friend doesn't give a shit. One friend is actually pained by it. The other friend is probably being too cheerful. And I thought that was a really good thing that that show did is how everyone has a different reaction to big moments. This is another example of why Jane the Virgin is just one of the best shows on TV. When Jane has her baby, you, you not only see her actually deal with that, like having to be early childhood development Mm -hmm. is dealt with on television television but you see it with her friend Mm -hmm. whose name i can't remember and how she's great i love yeah and she feels kind of left out and you know she has to she goes out with the friend and they kind of deal with it head on Mm -hmm. together and then you see a completely different experience with petra Mm -hmm. and how she has postpartum. um, postpartum depression right Or even, like, I was so struck in, I think it was the last episode where um, Rogelio does the video for Jane on Mother's Day. But I was like, I felt so bad for Petra. I know. Right, which everyone did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just like, well, at first it felt like no one did. Yeah, at first it felt like no one did. They're getting too into that. Right, but then the camera pans out (laughs) and you see Petra sitting in that chair by herself and your heart breaks. You know, she's nobody in a way. It's so funny to think that we see so many births on television and so many parents and postpartum depression is such a huge reality of so many people's lives Mm. but we have this like shiny view of you know you have a baby and then the baby is kind of there Mm -hmm. but you never really deal with it on tv well i think Uh, for a long time there wasn't a word for that right yeah you know you know 30 years ago or something no postpartum depression wasn't part of the lexicon that wasn't a word that we spoke about Mean, and wait, I feel like it really only entered the like pop culture ether, like when Tom Cruise said it doesn't exist, right? Kind of, That's true. or when Brooke Shields said that, that she had she, it. that she, she had, had it. it. Yeah. yeah, that was a huge moment. Yeah, that was yeah. big. And I think this touches more on what we've talked about many times is kind of the line between dr- drama and comedy. It's like that line starts to get blurred more as TV starts to reflect our lives more vividly because right. life is filled with both drama and comedy yes. and that's why tv has been so good recently yeah i mean it's, it's getting better at depicting what real life looks like why did you become so mean you obviously don't believe any of what you're well, saying fine lander why don't you tell me what to write i don't it's what, should I write about my trashy family about the fact that my my sister's a stripper or my mom is a high school dropout who drinks boxes of wine like it's water or about the fact that I lost my virginity when I was 13, or the fact that my papa wasn't around. How about that? Oh, I know what I should write about. The fact that up until two years ago, I had enough hate in my heart to start a freaking car. What changed? What? No, what changed from two years ago? Why, why did you stop having enough hate in your heart to start a freaking car? Jason Street got paralyzed. I realized that he was this great guy, I mean, like this hero, and it happened to him, 
and it, it made me realize that life isn't fair for anybody, not just me. Alright, what else? I don't know, I became friends with Julie and Mrs. Taylor started to take some interest in me, started doing my homework. You. I met you. Sing me a song, the last that is gone. Say, could that last be I? Mary of soul, she sailed on a day over the sea to sky. We have a listener question from Emily. She asked, now that Outlander is back, I'm wondering if you'd ever discuss this show on the podcast. The reason I'd like to hear what you have to say is because how deeply disturbed I was and remain regarding what happened in the final episode of season one. It's actually disturbing on two levels. I was disturbed at the content itself, but also disturbed that I was so bothered by male rape, yet I see female rape on TV and movies all the time. And take it like shit ain't no thing. Hmm. <laughs> my, inner femi- my inner feminist is pissed about my own double standard. Um, I also don't know I, if I can think of any scene, male or female rape, that is as extended as that one. Yeah, right? I really don't. I think this one has to do a lot less with gender just because of the unique situation that we're looking at, which is, as you said, an incredibly long scene of rape like and an torture. Episode. It really and, is almost near the length of the episode. Right, yeah. It's not just it's not just it's physical, it's emotional, yes. it's Blackjack Randall, so he anally rapes Jamie, he um pounds into his hand with a mallet, he, then he nails, nails it hand. to the table. Right. He then lovingly tends to his wounds and kisses him right. really lovingly. And tells and him then to think of him as Claire. Think of think of him as his wife. So he forces him to picture his wife while he's while he's raping him, he forces Jamie to give him a blowjob, brands him with oh, his I seal. About that, like yeah. the number of things that happen, this was one of the most difficult scenes, period, I've ever watched on television. Yes. It's like Black Mirror level kind of right. like difficulty. It's just, I think that's what makes it a little bit more unique. It's not so much that it was a male rape, but that it was just yeah. such an intense form of torture? To me, I actually felt like an interesting analog for it was 12 Years a Slave and the way in which Lupita's character is used in that movie. Um, Because there's a certain way in which one body becomes a repository of violence so that another one can be humanized. And I sort of felt like the same thing was happening with Outlander where Jamie sort of becomes the like ultimate lash, like whipping boy in some sense. And Claire becomes the ultimate healer by contrast and is able to fix him ultimately. Yeah. And, and I, it sort of it sort of reminded me of that movie because of the way in which Lupita was so degraded so that Chiwetel's character could then mm-hmm. retain his humanity in some sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think that the gender here is dealt with in the aftermath because you have this person who has been this kind of strong romance novel level figure. So you're used to seeing him in these like kind of beautiful sex scenes. And then now you have to deal with the fact that he's going back to his wife and their relationship has fundamentally changed and he can't be that kind of strong man anymore. And 
I haven't quite figured out how I feel about how the show has dealt with the aftermath That's of that. what I was going to ask. <laughs> I mean, I think I, we've seen a lot of interesting things so far. I thought it was a very interesting move for them to wait so long for them to have sex again. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is a I show. I think that was a smart move. I thought it was yeah. very smart, especially even give you know more so that she was pregnant right. I mean, how often are we seeing pregnant women have sex on tv right. and this wasn't like some kind of covered up she's still wearing her pajamas like her belly's out like no it was demi more realness yes <laughs> serving <laughs> yeah so i thought that was a great scene and then also i think we've seen a very interesting growth in jamie that we don't see with the victims is he has this resolve now uh, he is going to do this duel with Blackjack. He's thrown mm-hmm. himself into the cousin's wine business. Like, he wants to make a new life for himself. He's mm-hmm. not going to let the trauma crush him. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he wants to move past it and be strong. And, you know, he knows, he admits that he needs Claire with him to do that. Like, they mm-hmm. need, I think the show does a really good job of sh- showing that they need to be a partnership. The two of them yeah. have to do it together. No, you're right. I think. It has it has dealt with it, which I it, it has. hasn't hasn't you can't introduce yes. something like that yeah, no. and yeah. just drop it. <laughs> right. It has dealt with it. I think partially, I think we have par- somewhat modern expectations of what dealing with it should be mm-hmm. for a show mm-hmm. that's set in 1743. Well, this is a problem with Outlander in <laughs> yeah, general of right. like what our expectations should be and whether it's actually historically accurate right, and right, like right, balancing right. all of these sort of because then even Claire's reality and Claire's mindset is from 1945 mm-hmm. which is then even dated for us right. looking from this point right. so even though we do talk about Claire as a modern woman and she is in a lot of ways like it's important to keep in mind that she comes from a different era too right that is true right that's why I the revenge plot line the revenge I don't know how I feel I, about it I don't know it. how I feel about it either oh the duel you mean mm-hmm. when he like, uh, like how I, he's just sort of like I think I understand. I feel okay now. (laughs) I I understand because that is, it seems to make sense for this world Uh where this would be his reaction. And there's Uh also a fairness to it. Like a duel is the ultimate, everyone's on the same playing field. Uh Like that's kind of the whole thing of a duel. It's that there's chance to it, you know? So it's not so much that he wants to murder him and that he wants, (laughs) well, well, yeah. He wants to see his blood come out of his body. Right. But he also knows that there's a chance that he could die in doing it too. Right. And I, I did like how they handled that final scene in the latest episode. Yeah, where at Versailles. They, no, back later when they're at home. Oh. Oh, 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 When Claire is talking to him about why she doesn't want him to kill Jack, oh. Jack yeah. yet right. for another, to wait one year. Right. And he's really, he you you know, he's re- like, really? Like, you're really <laughs> asking me to do this? Right. And then he's like, don't touch me. Yeah. And you know, it's still, they're still, right. they're Friction still reckoning them. with this, yeah. you know? Right. It's... She is still, she's not kind of, she can't understand what he's gone through. But also in the same way where he can't understand what she's asking. Because he knows that he loves, that she loves him and Mm -hmm. their love is real. But she also doesn't want Frank to never exist. Right. And you know. (laughs) Such a weird story on the show. I love the show. (laughs) Uh, And you know, he can't understand that. I haven't seen the show or obviously this episode, but um, does it sounds like he leaves the experience with his manhood intact, kind of, that that's not... Not necessarily, because it does take a while for them to connect again sexually. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes this very beautiful monologue to her about how scared he's felt and how th- he's haunted by these nightmares of his abuser, uh, and he can't connect with his wife in an intimate way because he keeps seeing his abuser. And part of what made it so difficult, I believe, is because... He actually became aroused during this process. Right. We are led to believe so, that he ejaculates yeah. at the end of the rape. So it's it's also like he's it's a sickening thing that he is he now associates sex with with that and his wife and 
you know, they, they definitely strip some of his manhood a bit. So this is this is maybe the whole uh, Im- imposing modern expectations onto the show bit, but I, I think the parts that feel a little false to me is her Claire's expectation that he talk about it felt... It felt very 2016. Yes. Like it, not even 1945. Right, right. Yeah. It felt very like talk therapy, we should mm-hmm. discuss this, we're in a relationship and this is what mm-hmm. a healthy marriage looks like kind right. of thing, which... Yes, I agree, but it mm-hmm. for whatever reason felt untrue for a woman from 1945 going, in a way. Yeah. right, mm-hmm. going to like hundreds of years into the past mm-hmm. and then expecting this guy to like have a conversation right. about his rape. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's okay. I think I think something about that like struck me as like a little off and I think I would have mm-hmm. preferred an approach that was a little less heavy-handed and mm-hmm. a little more maybe just anguished, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. silent Visceral. anguish yeah. would have made more sense mm-hmm. to me than like requiring this mm-hmm. conversation. They, I, I think I don't like, I think they have kept with it, but I don't like how they dealt with it in that one episode where she's asking him to talk about it. Right. And by the end, they come to some form of res- resolution. Right. I wish they had left that finale with a little bit more ambiguity there as to how he he's feeling. They wanted to end it on a positive note where they're right. going to France together, right. she's pregnant, mm-hmm. like all that stuff. They wanted to tie it up a bit, but right. I wish they had kind of yes. not let it, left it a little untied. But yeah. we, I think we have returned to the ambiguity now mm-hmm. with we this have last episode where he says, I'm going to kill this guy in the duel. And she's like, no, please don't. And you can tell that there's still, there's still something between them there that has not been resolved. You'd stop me taking vengeance on the man that made me play his whore. The man that lived in my nightmares and in her bed. Almost drove me to take my own life. I'm a man of honor. I pay my debts. So tell me now, is that what you're asking of me? To pay you with the life of Black Jack Randall? Yes. A year. One day more. Do not touch me. That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mami, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Alex Jung, and you can find me on Twitter at E underscore Alex Jung. I'm Malika Rao. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-L-L-I-K-A underscore R-A-O. I'm Tara Abel, and you can find me on Twitter at Tara underscore Abel. Thanks for listening. Thank you.